Has anyone here read the book Flatland? Flatland, several, hey, amazing. Flatland is a world that is flat. And not just kind of flat, it is completely flat. There is no height and there is not even the concept of height. Everything that exists, exists in two dimensions. So there are circles, squares, triangles, squiggles, but there are no spheres, no balls, no boxes, no pyramids. So in Flatland, all is flat. So what would happen if a three-dimensional being came to Flatland? The three-dimensional being says, gather round, let me tell you about height. And after this description of height, all of the two-dimensional beings look around, and nowhere in Flatland do they see height. Fool, they say, Charlat charlatan, you make up stories about a third dimension, but reason and science say that there are only two dimensions in Flatland. The three-dimensional being shrugs three-dimensionally and walks away. Now, I'll leave it up to the mathematicians here to figure out what a three-dimensional shrug looks like to people who exist only in two dimensions. Now, we are three-dimensional beings. We exist forward and back, side to side, up and down. For us, it is easy to see what those living in flatland are missing. But now consider how you would react if Someone said, gather around, and I will tell you about space's fourth dimension. Yeah, so I don't know about you, but I can't picture it, and I have a physics background. I've really, really tried. Life on Earth, is, life on Earth has gone through stages of evolution, making new things possible. Movement, sensation, emotion, thought, choice, ethics, to name a few. And I imagine that it is impossible at any stage to anticipate the next. The writer Ken Wilbur describes stages of spiritual development that humanity has gone through and is still going through. Anyone here like Ken Wilbur? Couple of, couple of hands, couple of nods. So we are he calls it spiral dynamics. We are spiraling towards greater levels of spiritual development, greater, greater levels of enlightenment, we could call it. And my time for all ages today was actually about these levels of development. And I will describe some of them. Ken Wilbur assigns a color to each level using the colors of the rainbow. Level one, colored infrared, the archaic stage. Dawning awareness, experiencing the world like a newborn baby that is half asleep. Your behavior is governed by instinct and intuition. Level two, colored magenta, the tribal stage. And the forest seems enchanted, uh, common beliefs in animism, love of ritual and deep community. And I'll say here that Ken Wilbur is talking about the order in which these things appeared. So instinct came before animism. He's not saying that one is better. This is a history. 
The next stage in the history is level three, colored red. The warrior stage. Big egos, aggressive behavior, alpha males and alpha communities. Then yellow, the stage of tradition. Moralistic gods who tell you to follow the rules of your ancestors. No broccoli. We can't tell you why, but no broccoli. Then orange, modernism. Unitarianism was formed at the stage, valuing the individual, freedom, democracy, reason, science, self-reliance. Then green, postmodernism. Unitarian Universalism was formed as this was becoming popular. So tune in, drop out, care about the environment, civil rights, pluralism, relativism, sensitivity, think globally, act locally. Then level seven, colored teal, just like our teal hymnals. Able to hold multiple perspectives. So you can appreciate the value of both the modern stage and the postmodern stage. Flexible, creative, and effective. I'm encouraging us all to dwell in level seven, the teal level. Some people are saying the green level is important. Pluralism and interdependence matter most of all. And some people reply saying the orange level matters. Freedom, reason, democracy. We get in these debates, what matters, green or orange? The level seven, the teal level says that they both matter. Within the UU context, do we need liberal traditions or do we need liberation traditions? The teal level says we need both. I think deep down, you believe that the world needs both, but sometimes one seems more fragile, and that's the one that you lift up and advocate for. Yes, we need to advocate for what is at risk if one is dominating. Let's have this discussion at level seven, the teal level, able to hold multiple perspectives at the same time. Having said that, there is a level eight, the turquoise level. In level eight, you see the world as alive and evolving, a living tradition. You love what you know, and you anticipate that there is more beyond your ken. You anticipate that your understanding tomorrow might be substantially different from your understanding today. It can be scary to move into level eight. It feels like I'm on a game show, like who wants to be a millionaire? Regis Philbin asks, do you want to risk everything to take the chance that you will double your understanding? The orange level modernism provides so much value. The green level postmodernism replaces it with new understanding. The teal level combines them both and integrates the best of all levels. Do we really want to loosen our roots in these levels and be open to something new? What if we risk it all and lose everything? And Regis Philbin just says, sorry, no enlightenment for you today.
you end up with nothing. Guillermo del Toro says, it is never too late to exchange the things you believe define you for something better. I'll say that again. It is never too late to exchange the things you believe define you for something better. So I wonder if you actually believe, Guillermo, do you want to take that risk? If only we could have insight into the whole system and know all, if only we could have complete wisdom, so we wouldn't have to have fear of loss, we would feel connection to all with complete joy, complete love. This is Ken Wilber's level nine, the ultraviolet level. We can't get to level nine, perhaps, maybe you can. Some gurus say that it is there. Perhaps you can picture this giant eyeball floating above all and seeing all. Perhaps there is a reason that at the Thursday morning facilities group, the, the, the eyeball chocolates are the first chocolates to go. The eye is a powerful symbol for insight into all. On our best days, perhaps we have a few breaths at level nine. When we are feeling adventurous, we might be open to level eight. When we feel safe and connected, we can dwell at level seven, the teal level, holding multiple perspectives. But on rough days, afraid of what we might lose, we might cling to levels five or six, the modern level or the postmodern level. It is okay if on a day like today, in the world we live in, you can handle only one level. But together, we are more resilient. Together, we can handle multiple levels. Let's take a moment to consider your own spiritual development. For example, when did you first realize that love is good? When did that first cross your mind? When did you first care about people you had never met? When did you first see yourself as part of an interdependent web? When did you first decide that you would decide what you believe? Minister David Rankin describes a common journey that we go through in liberal religion. He says that you become a religious liberal when you decide that ultimately you decide what you believe. And then after that you come to believe, after some thought, that you come to believe in the inherent worth of all people. then you realize that this has implications. It means we need a world based on love and justice. Next, you realize you need to take action to make this belief a reality. Lisa spoke to that this morning. 
And this week, uh, Paul taught me a quote by Jimmy Doolittle. I try and ask people's permission before saying something they told me, so I'm, I hope this is okay, Paul. Um, Jimmy Doolittle says, every principle is a promise. Every principle you hold is a promise to take action based on that principle. And then says David Rankin, you decide that when serving the world, you will give priority to those who need it the most. David Rankin said all this in a sermon, and he doesn't go further in the sermon. So I don't know if he goes further, but in the sermon he didn't, but I will go further. Um, a common next step in liberal religion is to realize that you need the perspectives of those who need help the most. You need the perspectives of those who are most impacted by injustice. So when I woke up this morning and checked the news, you know, I felt really sad for what happened at um, Club Q. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna speak to it at the start of service. And um, checked in with Lisa. Uh, Lisa was ready to say something. To be honest, if I had said something, you know, it would have been meaningful, but it would not have been anywhere near what Lisa said. Um, and I think that's because Lisa is more impacted than I am. Um, it helps so much to get the perspective of those who are most impacted by injustice. Now, some people say, I don't, I'm not going to believe what someone else tells me to believe just because they're marginalized. I'm not going to believe it. So I want to honor, we're all human. Nobody is an infallible oracle. But consider that uh, some people have had experiences that you haven't had. They have probably learned something about the system that you haven't learned. So repeat, at this stage of the journey of liberal religious enlightenment, you realize that you need the perspectives of those who are most impacted by injustice. And there's one more step that some people take. The next step is to put those most impacted by injustice at the center. Again, it wouldn't have been enough if Lisa was in the room, if we had said, welcome, you're welcome here. That wouldn't be enough. Sometimes you need to put those most impacted at the center. And that can be scary. If, if I step out of the center myself, what if something is lost? For example, going back to Ken Wilber's levels of development that had colors, what if the people most impacted are at the green level and they insult me because they think that I'm down at the orange level, but really I'm at the teal level? You know, that's a risk. As I said, people at the margins are only human. Being impacted by injustice does not rocket you up to Ken Wilber's ultraviolet level. So I would say that level seven is not to be naive when putting those most impacted by injustice at the center, but do it wisely. Do, do it with an awareness that we're all people and then do it. And, and even do it while holding multiple centers. Give yourself the gift of being in a community organized by people who are most impacted by injustice. 
So the first phase, the first common um, phase of the journey of liberal religion is the realization that ultimately you decide what you believe. The common seventh phase of the journey is to experience community organized by people who are impacted the most by injustice. In UU circles, I hear the fear that we will lose that first, first phase if we explore the seventh. Um, and I agree, if someone is telling you to abandon the first, the first moment of your religious, liberal religious experience, if someone is saying abandon your own discernment about what you believe, yeah, don't follow that person. But I invite you to suspend disbelief long enough to explore their point of view anyway. Here's how I imagine it. Imagine you are slogging through deep forest on your path to enlightenment. You slog and you slog and you slog. And you find a path, and eventually this path leads up a hill. You climb up, 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 and you keep climbing, and you realize it is a mountain. And up you go until you are well above the tree line, and you have achieved spiritual enlightenment. Perhaps this mountain is called liberal religion for you. Perhaps you use another name for your path. But you, you see yourself at the peak of enlightenment. Now if someone calls to you and shouts out, come check out this other mountain, perhaps the mountain of collective liberation. No, you say, from here I can tell I am on the most enlightened mountain. No other mountain for me. No way will I leave this mountain. Please, calls the voice. You won't regret it. Please. So you have a choice. Are you willing to leave the mountain of liberal religion, slog through the forest of suspended disbelief, and climb the mountain of collective liberation? What if you get lost along the way and can't find your way back? What if we as a community can't find our way back? Do you stay with the enlightenment you know, or do you risk it all for the chance of more enlightenment? From the mountain of liberal religion, it might be tempting to call out to that voice, no, I won't go there, you come here. There's so much value here. Perhaps the voice calls back, I have been there. I like it there. Nonetheless, come check out here. Or perhaps the voice calls back, I have lived in the shadow of your mountain all my life. I'm a bit resentful. Please come here. No, you call back. From the distance, the voice calls back, there is chocolate here. <laughs> Fine, you say. So imagine descending the mountain of liberal religion, slogging through the deep forest of suspended disbelief with the howls of bad gurus scaring you away. How hard it is to put aside the enlightenment you know on the off chance that there really is chocolate at the end of the rainbow. Some people teaching collective liberation are bad teachers. If you want to stand on the mountain of liberal religion and point fingers at bad gurus of collective liberation, you will be busy pointing and complaining for the rest of your days. 
Similarly, if you're on the mountain of collective liberation, pointing fingers and complaining about bad gurus of liberal religion, you'll have plenty to do. Perhaps you consider that your time can be best used staying where you are, making sure that your path of enlightenment stays clear. My hope is that we as a community can keep open the pathway up the mountain of liberal religion while also slogging through the forest of suspended disbelief, persisting past the howls of bad gurus to climb up the mountain of collective liberation to see what is there. I'm going to make a specific ask. It's a big one. I mentioned a book last week. I'm going to encourage you again to read it. The book is called Towards Collective Liberation by a Unitarian Universalist named Chris Crass. Towards Collective Liberation. Chris describes his involvement in the organization Food Not Bombs. They organize as a collective, making decisions together, empowering each other as best as they know how. But the book is not utopian. It shows the messiness of life in a collective. It would be easy to read the book while standing on the mountain of liberal religion, pointing at how they had to learn lessons of liberalism the hard way. I encourage you to suspend disbelief and read the book while climbing the mountain of collective liberation. You might learn a thing or two. You might find that the mountain of liberal religion is still there, still grounded, but broader and higher than you thought. I'd love to hear from you after the service about this, what it is like for you to be in a religious tradition where we have learned so much while recognizing that there is more beyond our account.